Mary Pat and I went out to dinner with Donald and Melania um, the last time, last fall, right after the election in 2014. We went out to dinner in New York together, and after we got done, Mary Pat and I got in the car, and she looked at me and she said, I'm exhausted. <laughs> From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christy Tracker Podcast. I've made a choice. A lot of people, myself included, have lost betting against Donald Trump. So no, I wasn't being held hostage. No, I wasn't sitting up there thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I'm David First. We are in week four of the Bridgegate trial for former Chris Christie staffer Bridget Ann Kelly and former Deputy Executive Director of the Port Authority Bill Baroni. Remember that thing? that The trial has taken a distant back seat over this past week as stories about Donald Trump's hot mic video from 2005 and the presidential debate have been hogging the spotlight, but we're, we're breaking out our flashlights today and finding our way back to the Bridgegate Trail. Once again, we're joined by WNYC's Matt Katz and Andrea Bernstein. Welcome back. Hey. Thanks, David. Testimony from the prosecution's star witness, David Wildstein, wrapped up. Uh, this is the former Port Authority official who has already pleaded guilty in the Bridgegate uh, scandal. He has implicated nearly everyone in Governor Christie's orbit, in, uh, including Governor Christie and Governor Cuomo. Matt, where do we stand now? Where does this trial go from here? Well, we're only uh, about a third of the way through, but there's still a lot of good stuff to happen, I think. Um, what's next is you're going to see the prosecution bring on uh, a couple more government officials that just sort of firm up their timeline to indicate that, yes, a lot of people knew about the scheme, but really it was uh, Bill Baroni, David Wildstein, and Bridget Kelly before this happened. They're the driving force behind this. Um, the others knew during the cover-up. You, jury, need to understand that this was really rest on the shoulders of these three people. You're going to have a, so you'll have some other Christie officials, uh, one or two, maybe more come in and, and explain that. And then really what's next is the uh, defense to bring their witnesses. And we are expecting to see both Bill Baroni and Bridget Kelly take the stand. This is unusual in criminal cases for people to testify in their own defense. And it will be really, really fascinating. I mean, uh, I think uh, Bill Baroni has a, uh, a good degree of confidence in his own ability to uh, woo people. Uh, he's a natural politician, and I think he thinks he can charm the jury. We'll see if that's true. That worked very well when he was testifying before the legislature in November, uh, which is one of the things that he's charged with. This is November 2013. Based on the options presented by the Port Authority's chief engineer, on September 5th, Mr. Wildstein requested that a one-week study be conducted beginning on Monday, September 9th. You're being sarcastic about it being working well. Yes, which is why he did not want that testimony, that video of that testimony before the legislature to be shown to the jury. His lawyer really fought that. Right, because he looks like um, a cocky SOB, that he really thinks highly of himself. And as a matter of Andrea, fact... Andrea, language, there's not bad language in the Bridgegate trial. None. We have not heard any bad language. <laughs> no bad and language. now that you've debased the trial, my God. Okay, so sorry to debase the trial, but believe me, the, the discourse has been significantly coarsened and not by me. But there has been testimony that after that testimony before the legislature, which is in November of 2013, which is when Bill Baroni went and said... This was all just a traffic study gone awry. There was testimony that afterwards he came out and was bragging to people, oh, I just put that away. This is, this is over and behind us. At all times during the week of the study, the Port Authority Police Department monitored traffic on the George Washington Bridge. 
They were alert for any emergency vehicles in the area and prepared to further alter traffic patterns, excuse me, in the event of an emergency. So there is a significant element of risk in his coming to the jury now, especially because they've seen segments from that testimony. Andrea, there were some high emotions near the end of last week, uh, with Bridget Kelly becoming visibly upset in court. This was on, on Friday, right? Right. She was silently weeping throughout the entire testimony of Christina Renna. So Christina Renna is an important witness for the prosecution. She worked in the office that Kelly was directing in the governor's office. And according to the prosecution and according to Renna's direct testimony, she says that Bridget Kelly told her to delete an email that showed knowledge of the lane closures and the retribution scheme while it was happening. And if Bridget Kelly did that, the prosecution case is, that shows that she was guilty. So that's why she's a key witness. And the defense presented an entirely alternate narrative, which was that Christina was a disgruntled employee who was angry at Bridget Kelly because Bridget Kelly hadn't promoted her and that she was plotting revenge. They introduced a a text message where she said, I have a grudge and that's not going to be good for Bridget, and where she said, Bridget has fucked me by not giving her a promotion. And this went on for a long time. So the defense is arguing implicitly that Christina Renna made up the story of the request to delete the message. And the defense version is that Christina Renna's husband, at the time all this was happening, had a $420 million contract on the line and that he at that time was lobbying the governor's office. And in their alternate version, Christina Renna deleted this email because she didn't want to be in evidence that made the governor look bad because her husband had so much money on the line. And it shows how pervasive this culture of personal profiteering was in the governor's office going up and down. Uh, And the reason it was so dramatic in court is because you have one scenario in which either Christina Renna did in fact delete this email at Bridget Kelly's request, or you have an alternate scenario where she deleted it to help her husband's chances of getting a contract and then lied about it to protect herself, which meant that she would have been betraying this woman who was just sitting across the courtroom from her. And why was Bridget Kelly crying? Because she just was hearing these texts, these emails read out loud of what Christina Renna was saying about her? Pretty vicious emails. But also, if you just think it through, if Christina Renna is not telling the truth, what an act of betrayal that would be for somebody who she worked very closely with, who the two of them worked closely for four years together, Bridget Kelly and Christina Renna. So the idea that Christina Renna could be making this up to protect herself... uh, seem to be provoking this torrent of quiet tears. Matt, I have to say the high standards for uh, colorful language were, were really maintained last week at the trial. Oh, yes. Um, we, we've now heard pretty much every word that you're not supposed to say on the radio in the courtroom. And then you add to that uh, news in uh, Donald Trump world this week with uh, his videotape. And uh, we've been exposed to all kinds of things that we never thought we would hear. So last week we heard from um, a 
low-level aide in the governor's office, and he testified about a time that the governor had uh, freaked out on a local office holder, a freeholder. This is a county official over in Monmouth County, and this official was unhappy with Christie for allegedly grandstanding during Sandy in the aftermath of Sandy uh, before a press conference. This is a Republican. Um, he referred to the governor, to one of his cabinet members, as a fat fuck. And fortunately, our producer at WNYC, Dusty, he called that official after this testimony and he said, did you really call the governor a fat fuck? And he said, no, absolutely not. I walked up to the cabinet members who are all uh, dressed in their gubernatorial garb. And uh, I, uh, I said, so where is the fat motherfucker out running for president? I called him a fat motherfucker. So uh, we are learning all kinds of uh, fascinating things. It is important to clarify these things, Matt. It is important, right. So so after Christie apparently heard this, either fat fuck or fat motherfucker, he called up this freeholder and he told him, I will fucking destroy you. I said, uh, this is the governor of the state of New Jersey. And I thought it was somebody kidding me. And I said, yes, governor. And, uh, you know, Governor Christie uh, took off on me. Um, in, in uh, rather brazen fashion, far stronger language than uh, that I had used for, I'm going to say, 10 minutes. It was, who are you to call me a fat fuck? I'm the fucking governor of this state. If you aren't fucking standing behind the podium with me tomorrow, I will fucking destroy you. You're a fucking idiot. Did you memorize that or are you reading a transcript? I'm going to say that <laughs> that may not be exactly right, but I believe that is the correct number of F-bombs that were dropped during that, I mean, this is the point at which the Bridgegate trial has one of its Hamilton moments when there actually is a line, sit down, John Adams, you fat motherfucker. Hamilton's out of control. So This is, uh, this we, is a line from Bridgegate or, or from <laughs> Hamilton? I'm getting uh, confused. Apparently both. <laughs> And I think, you know, one of the I mean, I actually tweeted that out last week as, as a Hamilton line and and somebody tweeted back to me another Hamilton line, which comes from the Ten Duel Commandments, which is an order to the doctor in the duel that the doctor turn around so he can have deniability. If they don't reach a peace, that's all right. Time to get some pistols and the doctor on site. You pay him in advance. You treat him with civility. You have him turn around so he can have deniability. And I thought that was a sort of touche reply tweet because one of the things that I have been feeling in this courtroom is that if you accept the prosecution's case that these defendants did everything that the prosecution did, there's still a feeling that so many more powerful people, the governors of two states who are not in that courtroom, are not being called to account. And you wonder, did they do just that? Did they turn around so they can have deniability? Can we look at the big picture of the baggage that Chris Christie is carrying around at this point seems overwhelming. Matt, what kind of Chris Christie emerges after the Bridgegate trial wraps up and this 2016 election is history, uh, if Donald Trump loses? I think we can kind of break this up into three areas here. So in New Jersey, um, it looks like he may very well go down as one of the most unpopular uh, governors of all time, at least uh, the most unpopular since we've been 
gauging such things over the last several decades. Jim Florio, who served one term, is often held to the low standard of having been the least popular governor. It's very possible now, if you look at the numbers, that Christie will um, take over that mantle. Really incredible considering that Christie won in a landslide for his uh, reelection. So in New Jersey, history is not going to treat him well, it seems, if we if we uh, project out from here. Secondly, in the popular imagination, he's become something of a laughingstock, and that is partially due to Bridgegate and all of these new revelations, particularly things like getting crazed over some local official calling him fat. Uh, These things uh, do not make him seem like a serious person. And he has become a laughingstock also because of his role in the Trump campaign and uh, reports that he fetches Donald Trump McDonald's, uh, the meme of him standing behind Trump looking like a deer in headlights uh, right after he endorsed him. I want everybody to know, um, for those who were concerned, I wasn't being held hostage. I wasn't upset. I wasn't angry. I wasn't despondent. But, you know, the third way to look at this is that America has a very, very short attention span and that people are able to reinvent themselves. And it is highly possible that a lot of things change in the political world over the next couple of years. And if Hillary Clinton was to defeat Donald Trump, I certainly think you could see uh, Christie trying to make moves to carve out a constituency to run for president again in 2020. He's already been going, interestingly enough, to New Hampshire on a regular basis to help Donald Trump out there. He was there last week with his uh, New Jersey state t- troopers, taxpayer funded in tow. So I think you could uh, see some sort of pivot toward another presidential run for Christie. Uh, he would try to take up the mantle of these Trump supporters. I, I want to say, though, Matt, I want to just push back a little bit against that because I was making the same argument that you were making a week ago, which is that he still had the ability to speak to both the Trump people and to everybody else. But Christie, three days after this pussy tape dropped, had nothing to say about the tape. And that stands in contrast to every other Republican that I can think of, of prominence, starting with, of course, Trump, and then there was Pence, and then there was Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, former presidential candidates, Jeb Bush, John Kasich, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, John McCain, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody had something to say about it. And Christie, who, unlike, say, Rudy Giuliani or Newt Gingrich, hasn't had three wives. uh, But unlike Rudy, he didn't go on TV to defend it which indicates that he is avoiding that tape being out there and then replayed during a 2020 uh, presidential race. That's true. That's true. But I think that, you know, it's something that it's hard to forget and it's hard to explain away why he didn't immediately put out a statement saying, you know, I disagree or do what Pence did, which was say, I disagree. It was horrible, but I'm, you know, sticking with my guy. You know, the other thing that I wanted to say uh getting back to the Bridgegate trial, is that the reason, I mean, this this fall is stunning from winning by the this huge 60% margin in a blue state to perhaps being the most unpopular governor in history. And of course, let's remember why he won by that margin. It's, you know, partly because of his popularity and his work on Sandy, but also be, partly because of the things that David Wildstein and, and Bill Stepien and, and all these other actors were doing, which was working night and day to pump up his support among Democrats using government money to buy him that big reelection. 
WNYC's Andrea Bernstein and Matt Katz. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Thanks, David. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to Season 2 of the podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00, that is Matt, K-A-T-Z, and Andrea Bernstein at Andrea WNYC. And this just in, after we wrapped up the podcast speaking on WFAN on Tuesday morning, four days after the news broke, Governor Christie finally addressed the video where Donald Trump talks about assaulting women. He said the apology wasn't enough, but that he still supports Trump. Uh, Let's be really clear. It is completely indefensible, and I won't defend it and haven't defended it. Um, You know, that kind of talk and conversation, even in private, is just unacceptable.